This is Transistor.fm. Hey, welcome to Product People, the podcast for people who build their own products. This is part two of our interview with Sasha Grafe. Sasha is a designer and coder from Paris, France, but he's now living in Osaka, Japan. He's worked with companies like Hipmunk, but he's best known for his cool side projects. His most recent, called Telescope, is an open source platform for creating your own hacker news. In this episode, we talked with him about how to find a partner and the pain involved in building up a product income. Um, you know, one thing that we, we've talked a bit about on the show is choosing a partner. How did you choose uh, your partner on um, on Telescope, Tom Coleman? So that's a really good question. So, like I said, I, first I chose to I tried to choose a partner in a I guess more active way. Like, you know, I posted on my blog said I was looking for uh, partners. Um, I got in touch with like twenty people. I tried to screen the best person, and that didn't work at all. So what happened with Tom is uh, I simply uh, saw that he, he was really knowledgeable about Meteor, and he was very active on, on the mailing list. And I asked him a few questions, uh, especially on the Meteor chat room. And over time, like he started contributing to the project and getting more and more involved. So um, I, I think what that illustrates is you know, if, if you try to motivate people with external things like money or uh, doing something for them in return, um, it, it gives you different people than finding people who are motivated for internal reasons because they're uh, interested in the project. And that's really what the kind of people we want to find. That's interesting. So, uh, yeah. so you found that um, money was a bad motivator for finding a partner. But um, finding someone well, that was really yeah. passionate about the actual core of what you wanted to do, that, that, that was kind of the key. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's, it's kind of a paradox because I, I wouldn't, like if somebody came to me saying, hey, I have a really cool app, uh, I can't pay you, but do you want to be my co-founder? I would say, hell no. <laughs> if you want me to help, just pay me or or help me in return, but it turns out that, yeah, I wouldn't be a good co-founder in, in this case. <laughs> and, unless it was something you were really interested in. Yeah, so, but it's it's very hard to get people interested in a project, that's the, the thing, so um, it, it's worth it. Now I think it's worth it, so for my next projects, I would definitely um, try to find somebody who's interested in the project itself and not doing it for the money or uh, another reason. Yeah. You, you know what I think you've done really well, Sasha, is that you have all of these projects and with all of these projects, you've become very visible. So whether it's your blog, your book, or these other kind of side projects that you've done, you've become very visible. And I think, you know, uh, at some point, if you did want to launch something, there could be a lineup of people that just want to work with you just because they've seen what you've done already. Well, I think that's a bit naive because I, I did try that approach, like saying, hey, I want to build something cool. Uh, come help me just because I have 6,000 Twitter followers. Yeah. But um, 
that doesn't really work. Maybe when I'm at sixty thousand or <laughs> you know, six million. But um, yeah, people are busy. They have jobs. Uh, you know, if, if you take that approach, um, people are going to be really enthusiastic in the beginning, and then you know they're going to have to pay the bills or do something else and interesting the project on hold. So. Like, like people, it's not a good enough reason just that you you read my blog and you want to do something with me. Uh, the project needs to be interesting to both of us, basically. That's right. Yeah, because like I'm sure you've found both of you guys have found that like if you're starting something new, um, even if it's fun and exciting, uh, there's at some points it gets to be a grind and an uphill battle on even the funnest projects. Yeah. And especially if you're doing it on the side. Uh, where you're not, you know, being directly compensated, the only thing that gets you through is that like fire in your belly. That's like this is something that I want to see through. And if you yeah. if you embark on that yeah. with somebody who's not as invested with you, it's it's kind of going to end poorly, probably. Yeah. I mean, people. Most of the people I've met in this industry are all really cool guys or girls, but. What's hard to find is people who are really motivated and self-motivated, and mm. uh, you know, serious or reliable. Yeah. It's like if you've ever tried to start a band. It's like there's tons yeah, of good exactly. musicians out there, but yeah. it's really hard to find people who are good and who kind of want to take a serious, uh, intentional approach to a project. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah, that's perfect because it's really easy to find people to jam with or you know, just fool around with. But if you want to do a band and and practice like seven hours a day and get great, then that, that's really hard. Yeah, who's actually going to hit the road with you when you want to go tour or whatever? Mm. Yeah. You mentioned Sasha something about how you have six thousand followers, and that's. Um, maybe not enough to find like the perfect sort of co-founder or whatever, but it kind of brings up an interesting point that, um, right, which Justin mentioned earlier, that you've got fairly good visibility um, because of your blog and your projects and things like that. And um, one of the things that you've, you've posted on your blog is the side project project. Um, mm -hmm. And you talk about how you think it's important to have side projects because they make you special. <laughs> um, so so I, I totally agree. I think that um, at, uh, at some point, the people with visibility are the people who have just gone out and, and done things and released things for free. Like I was thinking earlier about how when you said with your ebook, it wasn't this huge strategic decision where you validated a market or anything like that. You just decided to do it and so you did it and you put it out there and it ended up being good because it's a you know it's a good quality um, piece of content. So I guess maybe we, you want to talk a little bit about your side project project specifically or we can just talk about um, kind of how important side projects have been for you in getting that visibility which kind of helps give you a platform to launch your other products. Right. Well, first of all, I want to talk about why it's important to have that platform. Um, because the really cool thing with the web is that it's you know anybody can 
have a hit and anybody can make something great and it goes viral. But um, at least that's what we like to think. But the truth is it helps a lot if you already have a network, if you already have a, an audience. And that's something I noticed when I launched uh, Folio is that I didn't really have that network and it was really hard to get people to care about the product. So yeah, I, I made a deliberate decision to uh, build that audience so that the next time I launch a product, at least that part would be a little bit easier. Because I think getting people to pay attention to what you're doing is really the hardest thing to do on the internet. There's just so much stuff. Mm -hmm. And to pick a, uh, an example, so you've heard about uh, Medium, the, the new project by a uh, Twitter uh, co-founder. Yeah. So, so Medium is, is awesome. It's a really great uh, user experience. and. Um, it's, it looks great, and it's, uh, they, they have great articles on there, but ask yourself, would it have the same success if you, know, you had created the exact same product or somebody uh, you know, in France or in Japan or anywhere else than Silicon Valley had created that product? And I don't think it would have the same success. So like who you are and who you know does have a, a very big impact for a lot of products. Yeah, I think um, like in your side project project post, you you talk about the zero by infinity workshop, and which is kind of a reference back to Amy Hoy and her thirty by five hundred workshop. But she has an interesting uh, video she posted on her blog about stacking the bricks, where she kind of talks about sort of the importance of of doing that, of sort of starting with a a base and building it out as you go, because you can't just if you don't have an audience, you can't just launch, no matter how great or compelling it is, you can't just put your first thing out there and expect it to be your big hit, right? Like any any successful internet mm -hmm. entrepreneur you talk to, that seems like an overnight success. It's That's the farthest thing from the truth. It's been a five-year process where they've been building other things out, building out their network, um, building up an audience in other ways. So. Yeah, and that's why side projects are important for me. Because if you think about it, like there's two sides to the equation. Uh, one side is, you know, having people pay attention, and the other side is having people pay money. So um, step one is doing something that, that that's popular and that people uh, are passionate about, and that's uh, what side projects are great for. And I feel like once you've met that side, then you can you know, try to get people to actually buy your products. For mm -hmm. sure. And I think one of the interesting things too is you just mentioned um, like paying for products. And I mean, you could talk for days about the psychology behind buying decisions, but one of the core one of the core things that factors into a buying decision is trust. And do you trust this person to deliver on whatever they they say they're going to give you? And um, I think that by laying that groundwork of building an audience and getting people's attention so they know who you are, they know what you're about, giving them free things so that they know the kind of quality things you give out, you're really laying a strong foundation of trust and that makes getting people to pull out their wallet to give you money for something else a whole lot easier than if you've got somebody cold yeah. coming to a website 
and you're telling them, because then basically they're just having to trust what's on your landing page, right? Rather than trusting your reputation. That's right. Yeah. And, and you know, if we think about Amy Hoy, the first time I ever heard about Amy Hoy was with uh, twistory.com, which is just a, a fun little side project, basically. And uh, that was the first time I'd ever heard about her. And from that, I think I maybe started reading her blog. And then from that, I went and checked out Freckle. And, you know, it, you keep kind of going down the line. Um, and with uh, 37 Signals, the first time I ever heard them is uh, someone sent me a link to their book, Getting Real. And I read it and uh, it was free online. And I, I read it and loved it. And, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've been... Uh, kind of a 37 signals fanboy ever since. <laughs> so so it's it's funny how there is kind of these gateways that get people interested in your stuff and um and then and do help to build trust down the road. Yeah. And I think people probably know that in my experience the only mistake people make is that they think too big for their side projects. So they're like, hey, I'm going to do a side project, a, a social network for people interested in uh, saxophone or whatever, because that's their, that's what they like. Yeah. And it ends up being a huge thing of, okay, comments, uh, private uh, messages, and then people can do this and that, and then, you know, they never do it because it's just too much work for a side project. So my advice is to really boil it down to the, the minimum side project, like the something my rule is it should take you less than 10 hours to build it. Hmm. So if you can build it in less than 10 hours, it means that there's a good chance that you will actually do it rather than, you know, something that you would need three months of full-time work to get out the door. Yeah. And, and what do you think about, um, so it's kind of funny because you in some ways have, like the way you've described how you choose to do a product or project you almost go against the lean approach, right? Which is you sort of start with a small thing and you and you validate it and then you decide to kind of do it big. Um, so like with your UI design book, you said you just decided to do it, so you did it. Um, I'm wondering, what, what do you think about that approach? Do you think it's better to, um, something that you want to build, to just do it and put it out there and sort of see what happens or take sort of a more methodical approach of testing, seeing what works. If it doesn't work, turning it into something a little bit different. Um, I actually think that I do use the lean approach um, because all the projects that are out there are basically MVPs. It's just that I never go go further than that step. <laughs> so, ah, that's so, a good point. Uh, yeah. I guess, like you said, if your projects, like one of the kind of deciding factors is it should be able to be built in in 10 hours so yeah i guess there's no like i would say that does qualify into to taking a pretty lean approach like minimizing waste while more than 10 hours so well that, that's perfect too because if if you yeah. have a if you have a small project that took you less than 10 hours to build and then all of a sudden people start like they just go crazy over it and they start asking you for more features and you know more support and etc then you you know you have a hit on your hands and that you could probably you know build it out and charge for it but if you release something and they they say you know this is well this is kind of neat and cool but you know there's not kind of that that sense of it being a hit 
um, you know, it might not make a good business. It might be something interesting, but not necessarily a good business. Yeah, that's true. And I guess even if like, you know, you launch something because you think it's going to be cool and it's going to be fun to work on and you get it out the door, kind of the MVP or whatever. And, you know, people find it interesting and it gains in popularity, but it never, you know, has sees explosive growth. Well, it's still one more thing to add to your, to your back pocket, right? Of things that you've done that can bring visibility to you so that your next project has, you know, another couple thousand people that you could potentially reach. Yep, exactly. And are, are you thinking about building another big web app sometime in the future? Um, actually, well, yes and no. So that would be Sidebar, which is, um, I don't know if it's, you could call it a big web app, but I certainly intended to uh, be my main project in the future. So, um, Tell us a little bit about Sidebar. What, what's the, what's the yeah. basic idea behind it? So the basic idea is um, there is no place for designers to share um, news or what they're working on or when they write a new blog post, when they have a new product. Uh, I mean, where would you go if you wanted uh, like to, to talk about this podcast? If you wanted to you know, advertise the fact that you've recorded this podcast, uh, where can you do that? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, yeah, I'm asking you. Oh, well, right now, right now we've been just kind of building up uh, an audience the old-fashioned way. Like we just tell people about it and, you know, have people sign up for our mailing list. And we've tried Twitter. We've, you know, we're kind of going through that. We have the podcast in iTunes. But you're right. It's hard. Like sometimes you, you go, well, like there's not really a, a good, like we wouldn't post it on Hacker News. Uh, so, yeah, you, where would we put it? I, I don't really know. Well, I think you could post it on Hacker News because it's pretty product focused. But for something that's really about design, like if we were talking about, you know, typography or rounded corners or whatever, um, it w would really not be a good fit for Hacker News. So in that case, you really don't have any good place to put it. So this is why I wanted to start Sidebar. And at first, I, w I thought that the best way to uh, solve that problem would be um, with you know, a Hacker News clone. So that's why Telescope uh, exists. Mm -hmm. I built it for Sidebar. But after, uh, so it took me about three months uh, to, to build Telescope. And after that time, I started realizing that, you know, a Sidebar should be its own thing, not just a clone. So uh, I decided to kind of go in a different direction, at least at first. and. Right now, Sidebar is um, just a list of the five best design links of the day. Yeah. So it's like if you took the five best design, five best links of Hacker News, and you send that in a newsletter every day, basically. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think like that's actually a, a great idea because I don't, I'm not sure if it's intentional or if it's going to be a side or a byproduct of, of taking that approach starting with curated content but you know this the thing about hacker news and rat reddit is always that it starts like the the reason it's popular is because of the community and like the like-minded people that it attracts and i actually think that there's 
there's already a lot of design link sharing sites, but mm. the problem is like they're not very good because most of them will be like, you know, 40 seamless wallpapers or, you know, 10 yeah. or 110 free fonts. And it's, <laughs> it's kind of like yeah. link bait sort of stuff. There's nothing really exactly. more thoughtful and curated. And by starting with a curated, like a really carefully selected hand-picked list of, um, of links, you're getting sidebar kind of known as a place for, I guess you could say like the thoughtful or practical designer who's moved on the, from the pop culture design world, I guess. And yeah. so once you turn it into a full community, you've kind of already built that reputation for sidebar as being that kind of a place. Exactly. That's exactly what I intend to do. And yeah, I built sidebar because there wasn't any place um, with the content that I would like to see. Like I care a lot more if uh, some if Skype comes out with a new responsive site than about uh, 110 uh, seamless textures. <laughs> and and can you can you show us behind the curtain a little bit with Sidebar? What's kind of coming next? What's where do you want to eventually take Sidebar? So um, my inspiration for uh, Sidebar is um, kind of a daring fireball but uh, multi-user daring variable. So what I mean by that is that I would like to uh, add uh, not just the ability for designers to post links, but also to provide a short uh, commentary or you know what they think about that particular link. So that's probably what's coming next. And um, we'll see how people like it. And if they, if they start using that, uh, maybe uh, comments after that. And but um, uh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry, when I when I say comments, um, for me, what's interesting with comments on Reddit or Hacker News, it's not so much the okay. Let's say what's really not interesting is uh, back and forth conversations. Like somebody says A and somebody says B, and they start you know having their own private discussion, and then the there's 200 comments with the same guys <laughs> arguing. Yeah, destroys so the thread. That. Yeah. What I want to do is um, something more like branch, where people will, you know, give their opinion on the initial link, rather than on the on whatever somebody else said. So uh, I'm going to try to orient the discussion in a more, you know, thoughtful and and uh, basically standalone comments, almost like short, uh, like what you know. Uh, John Gruber on Daring Fireball does like short um, pieces on on the content. Mm -hmm. And are you thinking like, have you started thinking about a business model for Sidebar? Is that even something you're thinking about? Uh, yeah, that's something I'm definitely thinking about. And it, it will take a couple forms. Um, one way to do it would be uh, sponsored links. So um, yeah, like like on Twitter. Um, if you have a new product, you can pay to advertise it on Sidebar. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, the, the product would have to be relevant to design it. It would have to be endorsed uh, in some way by Sidebar. But that's one way. Another way is uh, uh, job ads. So a lot of companies are looking, looking for designers right now. So Sidebar could be a good way uh, to help them find one. And um, 
after that, we'll see. Probably the sponsor links uh, is going to be my first uh, attempt. Interesting. And, and has the response been fairly good so far? Did you have a lot of people sign up for the email list? Uh, yeah, I think the response has been really good. Um, I've had about 3,000 signups so far. In oh, wow. A month and a half. But um, more than that, what's, what I'm really happy with is the response on Twitter. And if you search for uh, sidebar.io, you can see a lot of people are really enjoying the newsletter. And uh, another good sign is uh, the open rate for the newsletter is, uh, I think, 70% or something really oh, wow. like this. Yeah, that's really good. I, I think again, like this whole this all speaks a bit about how like desperately people want curation in the design world. Like there's so much noise happening on Twitter and blogs and everywhere that to get everything boiled down to like here's five links that you should care about. That's it. You don't have to feel like you're missing out on a whole bunch of stuff. Like here's read these five links and you're good. Yeah. And that's super yeah. appealing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's so easy to miss out on stuff. Like, you know, sometimes I'm on Dribble a lot, and sometimes I still miss out on thread with, you know, 200 comments or whatever the latest controversy is, just because there is no central place to, to say, hey, this is a cool, interesting comment thread on Dribble, or hey, this designer has redesigned his portfolio, or, uh, you know, Microsoft have a new site. Well, OK, Microsoft, you would probably know about it, but uh, recently on Sidebar, I featured uh, Snowbird, which is a, a ski uh, resort. And they have a, a really, really, really awesome site that was done by uh, uh, Go Rally. And I mean, unless you really follow Dribble uh, religiously, where else uh, would you hear about? You know, they have redesigned their sites because it's it's not really news in the traditional sense, but I guarantee you will learn a lot more about design by just browsing their site for five minutes uh, than, you know, checking out the 500 uh, free fonts. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this snowbird site is amazing. Like when you yeah, mouse over the the weather and it it shows you the weather for the rest of the week. Mm. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. So, Sasha, you mentioned, well, I guess we were just talking about kind of the business model behind Sidebar.io and how you would like to eventually um, maybe make that your full-time thing. One of the things that, like, I know myself I've struggled with and I know lots of other people had have is how you balance sort of your time between, especially when you're freelancing, um, in some ways you can think about any any hour you spend not working on client work, you're losing money in a way. So mm. how, do you, how do you, I guess, find time to work on the million side projects that you have going? And sort of like how do you, I guess, not only how do you find the time, but how do you justify the time in something that's maybe either going to be released free or pursued as an experiment? Well, the answer to that is that I, I am actually losing money and not making a lot of it at all. So, uh, yeah, I made the decision. I think that I think I most would... people are when when we start pursuing products. That's kind of the thing is like you've got to be 
okay with that fact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, most of my projects, so Folio, um, I kind of earn a little bit of money with Folio, but other than that, you know, I had some ads, but that bring in like $30 a week or a month, actually. So, yeah, I'm not making a lot of money at all, and uh, I'm making a lot less than the average Japanese salary, uh, which uh, doesn't help because life is so expensive here, but I just made that choice uh, that I would focus on my own projects for a year or two years or however right. long it takes. And the reason why is I found it too hard to juggle uh, freelance work and personal projects. When right. I have uh, any client work, I just want to get it done. And it's really hard for me to, you know, just set it aside. Because, you know, if you do, if you do freelance work, you feel like your personal projects are not uh, moving forward. And if, you, if it's the other way around, you feel like you're neglecting your clients. So I, I, at the end of the day, I mean, I think you have to pick one or the other. And um, if, if you go back to 37 Signals, uh, I don't know how long they juggled both uh, client work and, and uh, products, but I think they move into products as soon as they could because it's really hard to have two different focuses like this. I, yeah, I totally agree. Like trying to juggle both things and do it well is is incredibly difficult. Um, even for like big companies, I know that have like traditionally started off as a services company and have built some products and wanted to switch over to a product based income. Like even that's hard for a big company with with good cash flow and things like that. So are you are you kind of like um, so? It sounds like you're you're sort of long-term goal, you're going hard on on making your income eventually so solely come from products. Um, so in the meantime, are you kind of like, are you still trying to juggle the two, like freelance and versus the income from your side projects? Or are you occasionally taking on freelance work when you need it to help pay the bills type thing? Or how, how are you kind of doing that transition into full-time product work? Well. I decided to do make that transition about one year ago when I launched Folio, and it took me a good six months just to get rid of all my clients. So um, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, I can I can decide, be like, okay, hey, by the way, uh, I'm stopping working on the website. Uh, go find somebody else to finish it. I mean, I can't do that. So once I had decided to stop taking on new clients, uh, it took me yeah six months just to finish up on my current projects, uh, support previous clients, and just wind it down. So since then, I haven't taken on any new freelance projects except uh, last month where I did some work for uh, a previous client on a new app that they're working on. But that's, uh, that's an existing relationship, so it's easier to manage. Right. So yeah, I mean, right so now it's I'm pretty not, minimal. Yeah, pretty minimal. And is that your idea? You said like this year is your year to kind of work on products. Are you trying to build up a product business this year with the hope of you know by the end of this year you'll have enough income to just live off products? That was my hope, but apparently uh, it, it hasn't worked out yet. So. I think I'm going to give it another year. Gotcha. So you're you're a year in right now, and you're going to give it one more year. Yeah. Yeah. 
Interesting. I love this this background because so many people are are working on their own stuff, and I think a lot of people struggle with that to to feel like you know how how do I manage you know if I'm doing freelance work how do I manage that how much time do I give myself to succeed um, and you're you're right in the middle of that right now. Yeah. Yeah, and well, I think, I think that's... it takes. Go ahead, Sasha. Yeah, sorry. I think it takes. Uh... For me, it takes three years to build a company. So, uh, yeah, first year you lose money, second year you you're kind of even, and third year you start making money. So, yeah, I'm one year in. Uh, I'm already a lot more successful, and I know a lot more than I knew one year ago. So, yeah, I'm gonna keep on doing my thing. That's uh, it's definitely like a tough slog, but I think that's like if you. Like you've obviously got the chops to make it happen, and and the like will to make it happen. So I think uh, that's definitely the way to do it. Like I I know people who have tried building businesses, well, and myself included, with PhotoJournal in the side after hours while doing something else to pay the bills, and it's you're in for an even longer slog if you try and do that. Whereas um, I know other people who have just you know, dove headfirst into it, and almost out of necessity, they find themselves. They're like, "Oh crap! Like we have to make this work," and it really lights a fire under them to make it happen. And I mean, it's still a long, long slog, and it's a lot of hard work. But in some ways, you know, taking the plunge, um, it kind of forces you to to move things a lot faster. And if something's not working, to to get off of it quick and get onto something that is working. Yeah, for me the question is: Do you view yourself as a freelancer or employee who's who's doing a project on the side, or like somebody who has a product or his own company who does freelancing to pay the bills? So yeah, you, yeah, you have to make that choice. And, and for you right now, is is it freelancing that's paying the bills, or are you just just going purely with product income? Um, so I, I went purely with product income for the past uh, six months, but it was a really small income, so now I'm doing a tiny bit of freelancing too. Gotcha. So there's there's not really any you know hard and fast rules about this, but it, it sounds like for you, you, you wanted to create some space where you could really focus on products. And I, I mean, I think it's probably just like anything else. Like once you, you know, once you need to eat, you've got to make some money to eat, but then, uh, you know, you want to go back and keep working on on those products. Yeah, or you can eat less. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no good bread in Japan anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and like, I think a lot of people. I mean, if you're a web designer and you have a high-paying job in a company, you get, you know, you get used to a lifestyle that might not be sustainable if you launch your own products. So. Um, you know, ask yourself, am I getting used to luxury too much or will that prevent me from uh, being free to, to do my own stuff? And that's something I try to avoid. So I try not to spend too much and not to get used to uh, too much uh, luxury, I guess. Yeah, that's really good advice. I've heard some other people mention that too, that your whatever your cost of living is, you know, a high cost of living is going to be one of your biggest liabilities when you're building a company or a product 
because the the lower your cost of living, the less money you need to survive. So you can you you can just subsist on less, which could you know mean a lot if you're in the trenches building something and want to keep focusing on it. Yeah, and I mean, if you're listening to this right now and you want to build your product, just you know move to Cambodia and you can live <laughs> on uh, two hundred dollars a month for six months. Yeah, I yeah. I know of a couple of companies that. Uh, and people that have moved to Chile to kind of do the same thing. Oh yeah, yeah, I know, so, I know that too. Yeah, I was saying in Chile they also pay you just to to move there, so it's even better. No oh, way. Interesting. I was I was kind of wondering why it seems like a lot of I see that a lot lately. Is Chile seems to be the place that a lot of people are going. So that's interesting. Yeah, they have a, a organization called Startup Chile where uh -huh. they pay you what's forty thousand dollars. And oh wow! Basically, they refund your living expenses if you do your startup there for what six months or a couple months. No way! Wow. Okay. Huh. Yeah. There's actually I think there's a company here in Edmonton um, that did startup Chile Mover .io. No so way! That's kind of that's kind of where I heard of heard of it. But yeah, that's really interesting. Cool. Well, so if you take away one thing from this podcast, it's move somewhere very, very cheap and possibly dangerous. That's right. Cool, guys. Cool. Sasha, that was really great. I I really yeah. appreciate you being so personal and 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 letting people know, you know what what it's really like to be doing all this and and some of the pressures because I think sometimes when you read other people's blogs, it it can almost seem like ah oh, these. People have it all together, and you, you don't see like yeah. all the uh, the yeah. hard stuff in between. Like, you know, you didn't, you don't know what it was like when they were actually building things, and it was hard to pay bills and all that stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, nobody has an easy ride, even though some people make it look that way. Like it's like this is never, never easy. So yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, I, and I wonder if people just forget too. You know, like. Um, it's kind of like that with with parenting. Like if you have when you have kids, it's like so hard <laughs> when you're actually taking care of kids. But once they grow up, you you know your your parents say, "Oh, it's easy taking care of kids," but they they forget about what it's like to be uh, actually actually doing that every day. You know. Well, there's also like selection bias, or where the people who are not successful successful you never hear about them. Yeah. So um, right. or success bias, I forgot the name, but yeah, you only hear about the success stories because the other, nobody will write a blog post saying, hey, I launched this and nobody cared and I didn't make any money. Yeah, yeah. Or if they do, you don't hear about it because, again, so it gives a very skewed picture Although, of the whole thing. Now I'm thinking that would be a great headline for Hacker News. I launched this, nobody cared, and I didn't make any money. <laughs> yeah. But then you only hear about the people writing those posts that get onto Hacker News. Yeah, you know, that's you don't right. hear about the people who fail at their failure <laughs> posts. <laughs> it's the same thing. Uh, that's true. That's true. Well, hey, Sasha, this has been really great. You've given some really good insights on uh, what it's like to actually be, like I said, in the trenches and, and building a product. Uh, so thanks so much for, for being on the show. No problem. This was fun. All right, guys. Right I'm going to sign off. So thanks again. Yeah. yeah See you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Bye. Have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye.
Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.